of our sermon series on momentum. Now, if you've been hanging out with us the past couple of weeks, you'll be familiar with our bookmark challenge. The bookmark challenge is we've been reading through the book of Psalms together uh, during this seven-week series, trusting that as we daily open God's word and read and pray through the Psalms, that we will grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is unscripted, this is unprompted, but I am wondering if any of you have had any cool moments through reading the Psalms or anything you think this community would be blessed by, by uh, your reading of the Psalms. Does anyone have anything they want to share through their experience? Oh, that's a big ask. I'll share one with you. Uh, I keep getting texts from Mike Klepser, which just happens if he has your phone number, okay? You will get texts from Mike Klepser. He keeps texting me different U2 lyrics of songs. There you go. <laughs> Heather's a big U2 fan, you can tell. Uh, because he, had no, he didn't realize the connection. There's several songs U2 has done that are the Psalms. And uh, he just listened to the songs. He knew them. He knew the words were good and Christ-centered. But as he's been reading the Psalms, he goes, wait, I know this from you too. I know this from you too. So it's amazing how God's word meets us in different ways. Another thing I've noticed through reading the Psalms is just, um, for one, uh, the psalmist and David and all of them, they had a lot of enemies, right? Have you noticed that? All the talk about my enemies and and then there's some very audacious prayers about striking down my enemies and, and praying for these pretty harsh things. And so as I read that, I just find those, those ones interesting. And then what I always love, at the very end of almost every psalm, what happens? Yes. Turn it back into praise every single time at the very end of those psalms. And I think that's just beautiful. No matter how deep our anguish, our pain, our sorrow, our struggles, even so, God's name be praised, for he is still good. So I hope you are being blessed by the bookmark challenge. I know I have been. As I said last week, it's cool being able to open God's word and knowing my brothers and sisters in Christ are reading the same things that I am reading. Uh, there's, just, there's power in that. So we're about almost halfway through this series already. It's hard to believe. And we've talked about prayer and love, today's discipleship. To next week, uh, Jeff Wenke, our classes leader and pastor also of the bridge, he's actually going to be bringing the message and he'll be preaching on leadership development. When I asked him to preach, he goes, I have never preached on leadership development before. It's like, good, you got a challenge on your hands then. It's our desire to become stronger and more intentional in each of these areas that we are navigating together during this series. So when we looked at love last week, we talked about what it looks like to love without our masks on, to be courageously our authentic selves when we come together, and not just to feel love and express it, but to put it into action, and to also invite others into this grace-filled family. When we were talking about it, we looked at the greatest commandments, to love God and to love neighbor, because we know that's how we are called to live. Now today, we are going to look at the Great Commission, which is what we are called to do. So we looked at how we are called to live, now we're going to look at what we are called to do, because the Great Commission, it is our God-given mission. 
for each of us individually, but also us as a church. Now, I want to share a quick story on momentum with you. Um, I, all, I shared with you a couple weeks ago or last week sometime about uh, one negative encounter I had with momentum on my bike. Um, that was not my first negative encounter with the law of physics, however. So, go back to when I was about a year and a half old. My Uncle John is meeting me for the very first time. Uncle John is from Texas. And like all things in Texas, he's very big. He's just very big. He's tall, strong. I was very small. I was one and a half. I'm from Michigan. I'm not Dutch. I was like this big. Uh, essentially, imagine Crosby, and that's what I looked like, same size and everything. Well, Uncle John was so excited to meet me and hang out with me. I was his first, uh, the, the first time he met me and my brothers was the first time he met his nephews. And so he didn't have any kids of his own. He was the only child, so he didn't have any siblings. He didn't interact a lot with kids, but he was excited to meet me. So he took us to a park, put us all on a merry-go-round. Remember how momentum's mass times velocity? We had a lot of velocity going on this merry-go-round, and I did not have much mass at all. He's spinning us. He's spinning us. He's spinning us. I'm one and a half. I don't know what I'm doing. Supposedly, I, wasn't, I don't remember, thankfully, because I go flying off and I land in a bush. <laughs> okay? Now, they tell me no damage was done. But I can just blame that in case there's anything weird about me, right? <laughs> See, I was one and a half. That's what happens when you don't have much mass, but you have a lot of velocity. When we're talking about discipleship, we're talking more about going deeper and being strengthened, uh, creating deep roots so that when we move fast, we don't lose control and fly away like I did on that merry-go-round. So let's talk about this Great Commission. We're going to look at two different accounts. It's Acts chapter 1 and Matthew 28. These are two tellings of the same uh, happening, same event. It's Jesus' last words before he ascends into heaven. We know after Jesus' death and resurrection, he spent about 40 days or so kind of uh, going around giving many convincing proofs that he is indeed alive. He did indeed defeat death. And then he calls his disciples to the Mount of Olives. This is above the Garden of Gethsemane, where some 43 days before he was just praying to his Lord and was betrayed. So let's read first from Acts 1, 4 through 8, and then we'll read right after that Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with the disciples, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John was baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. 
And then turning to Matthew 28, starting at verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Then Acts 1.9, we know it says that Jesus was taken up into heaven before their very eyes. Jesus was with his disciples. He was having a meal with them like he often did, for they were his dear friends. They were fellowshipping together, and this was his last time eating, conversing with them. He tells them the Holy Spirit's coming to them, and they will be receiving the very power of God. God's self would indwell them, and all believers would receive God's strength to then fulfill our God-given mission, which is to be Jesus' witnesses to all people, or put another way, to make disciples. The beauty is we don't do this on our own power because he sends the Holy Spirit. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit this is accomplished, and he will be with us always to the very end of the age. Now that, I like that, how that Acts passage says being a witness, because that means sharing how Jesus has actively been at work in your life with others. I mean, imagine when you see, if you've been at like a sporting event, and there's this incredible play, and you're witness to that. You want to share it down to the minute detail what happened with everyone you encounter because it's just too exciting not to share. That's how we are to be in our witnessing of Jesus Christ. So in this Great Commission, make disciples is in the imperative form. That means it's the command. It's the, this is of utmost importance directive that Jesus is giving us. That means if you follow Jesus— This is a command. It's not an optional, nice thing we could do. It is a command from Jesus. But what is a disciple? A lifelong follower, a lifelong learner of Jesus. The way we define it here at Hope is actually found in our mission statement. Uh, It's always on the back of your bulletin in that cool scripty writing, in case you didn't know. It says this, we believe a disciple is one who loves Jesus, seeks to live like Jesus, and lead others into a relationship with him. To love, live, and lead. We love God. We try and live like him while trying to help others do the same. That's our God-given mission. It's what we are called to do as disciples and as the church, to be disciples that make disciples. Now, in this Great Commission, the only imperative is to make disciples, but the word go and baptize and teach, these are all aspects that are natural byproducts of making disciples. To make disciples, we sometimes, the Holy Spirit calls us and leads us to go, sometimes far away, off to far lands, But other times, maybe it's not so far. 
Maybe other times he calls us into a relationship with the neighbor across the street or the coworker in the next cubicle or our friend in the desk next to us. And as people come to realize that love of Jesus and that desire to follow him, then the next step is to be baptized. And before and after, people need to come to the knowledge of our Lord through teaching them to observe or to obey this way of life that Jesus has displayed for the disciples to live. To seek to be like Jesus. Now, teaching doesn't always mean just telling someone or instructing them. How do we learn the best? How do you guys learn the best? Sometimes it's through reading, right? Other times it's through seeing or listening. I learn a whole lot from YouTube. Anyone else? YouTube? Not every video is helpful on YouTube. Cat videos are always helpful for a pick-me-up. Oftentimes, we learn a lot by example. We can learn by example, the example of what to do, but also what not to do. I think of any time my dad was teaching me how to do a project around the house. Uh, I would oftentimes learn some things to do, right? And most of the time, I would learn what not to do, including getting frustrated when you stub your thumb on the hammer or whatever. We often learn most by doing by putting things into practice, by putting in reps, by having experiences and, and being stretched, by being given these opportunities to put what we've learned into practice, including even the opportunity to fail. Because we know failure itself is a wonderful teacher as well. Learning how to follow Jesus often comes from us witnessing and imitating the life and practice of others who are following Jesus. When Jesus says, make disciples, we can't help but remember how he did it. Three years of teaching these 12 men on the dusty road, allowing them to witness, to observe, to participate, to ask questions, to try new things. Disciple-making, then, it's the word of God shaping men and women within these life-on-life relationships. Because discipleship is grounded in relationship. How did you come to know Jesus? Almost always we can point to these relationships within our lives. Of these people who entered into a relationship with us to help lead us to Christ. Or to help us come to know him better. Even if we didn't have that person in our life, that earthly person, it's always grounded in relationship because there's the relationship with Jesus, which is a key part of it. See, in fact, Jesus was the one who drew you to him. When we think of this Momentum series, when we think of discipleship, growth in any of these areas, it never happens by accident. J.R. Briggs, a pastor, author, he put it this way. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm not sure how it happened, but without really knowing it, I'm a lot like Jesus in every area of my life. No, it takes a purposeful pursuit in the lives of individuals and entire communities 
of Jesus. Discipleship is a purposeful pursuit. That's what we mean about velocity. We are pursuing. It's a journey, a life that imitates the life of Jesus. It's very purposeful, piece by piece. All our lives are being refined to resemble that of Jesus Christ. If you want to boil down this series into a kind of a key word, aside from momentum, it would be intentionality. See, our goal as a disciple is to allow discipleship, to love, to live, to lead, to enter every single area of our lives. It doesn't work in compartments. For our very culture, it's our desire for our very culture as a community to be one of discipleship. What would it look like if our God-given mission of being and making disciples was central to everything we did. That's what we are after here as a church. To develop a culture in which Jesus is central, the kingdom is pursued, discipleship is key, fulfilling the great commissions, the focus, and loving our neighbors is the goal. Our church is not overly concerned with building our numbers, but we are deeply concerned with building disciples. That's how we know if our ministry here is fruitful, if the disciples here are growing and we are seeing new disciples grow. Our prayer is to value what Jesus valued most. Disciples, people coming and turning towards him, giving their life to him, living for him and spreading his kingdom. That was the very task he gave to these disciples he passed down to us. It's Jesus' master plan to spread his kingdom. He invites the world into a relationship with him, salvation that's found only in him, and life everlasting in him. So what is the discipleship culture here at Hope? Well, I think we have a lot of good things going well for us here. We have a few small groups and life groups that are active. We have more on the way. We had two that just started and more coming. Hope Littles, Hope Kids, and Journey are all ministries that are centered and built upon discipleship as the foundation. We've been sharing what God's been doing in and through our lives, through our our God sightings. I'm hearing stories from you all of ways you are growing spiritually and being challenged. Our worships, like we are experiencing right now on Sunday mornings, has discipleship built into the messages and practices. So we have a lot of good things going. But how can we build on it? How can we build on it to take it to the next level? I think it takes a laser-like focus and intentionality. I heard it put this way once. Without that intentionality, churches will often fall either towards the great commotion, which is where they create unending spiritual programs for people with the belief it will automatically lead to discipleship, or the great omission, doing nothing related to discipleship. I don't believe we fall in either of those. We're probably somewhere in the middle seeking to be intentional and what we do with discipleship. But here's the question we need to consider. Is discipleship central to every single thing we do here as a church? There's a natural tendency 
to view discipleship as a program as opposed to a way of life. But what the Bible teaches us, the way in which Jesus lived and trained up his disciples, it was not through any program. It's to be more than just a hood ornament on the rhythms of our church. It ought to be the central goal around which everything orbits. Because discipleship is not just a ministry of the church, it is the ministry of the church. When we talk about discipleship, there's another common belief that discipleship is simply about learning more. But that's actually a little incomplete. Yeah, a disciple absolutely needs to have a, go- excuse me, a growing and gaining knowledge of God all throughout your life and in his ways and all of that. But intellectual transmission is not the same as discipleship. A disciple is one who desires above all else to arrange his or her life to be like him, to take what we learn and then put it into action. Pastor Dave Browning wrote, I am convinced that the gap holding back most believers, it's not the gap between what they know and what they don't know, it's the gap between what they know and what they're living. Oftentimes we are educated beyond our obedience. Oh, that one hurt when I read that. What it makes me think of, it's kind of the difference between if you read a recipe a hundred times, but you never give it a shot. It's much different than diving in and trying to cook that recipe. Or you could read a hundred books about God, but if you're not in a relationship with God and you're not trying to live it out, and your life doesn't look different from book one to 100, there's something missing. And we know the beauty is the learning never stops when we put it into action. In fact, it just ramps up through that experience. It solidifies, it creates those deep, deep roots. I recently read another quote that I found personally quite convicting. It says this. Uh, this was Neil Cole. He's another pastor. Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing. It's disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, your preaching, your programs, or your property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not healthy. I don't think that's where we are, but I think that's a warning sign for anybody trying to follow God, right? Because the thing with discipleship is, without a purposeful pursuit, without that deep intention as a church and individually, we automatically will start to drift towards passivity. We will automatically start to turn more inward focused and more consumeristic in our views of life as well as the church. That's our sinful nature. We can't help it if we're not being intentional in our walk with God. But when we purposefully pursue this God-given mission to love, to live, to lead, and we are in a relationship with God, we will be doing the things we do for God and His glory. As we do that, 
we draw closer to him while inviting others into this amazing journey. Heard it explained this way that disciples uh, look like sheep up front, sheep who follow. And then from behind, they look like shepherds because they're also leading. So what does it take? What does it take to prevent us from drifting to that place where none of us want to go? That sense of entitlement or passivity or being inward focused? Because none of us want that. What does it take? It takes intentionality, that word we already heard, with God, our relationship with God, as well as our relationship with others. With discipleship, I think a lot of times that word freaks us out because we, we think we have to be intentional about it, and that means we have to go up to someone and say, I'm discipling you now. You are my disciple. You're a disciple of Kevin, who's a disciple of Christ, right? And that can be so intimidating, that idea of entering into this serious discipleship relationship. But I don't think it has to be that way. I think intentionality means investing in a person, you commit to a certain level of investment and you live that out. One of the people who was uh, instrumental in my life, Doug Rao, he was my good buddy in college, had this great beard. Such a good beard. I'm still jealous of it. You can't tell. He looked like a lumberjack. And this man, he discipled me. But he never said to me, Kevin, I want you to be my disciple. He never did that. In fact, when I reflect back on my relationship with Doug, what does it look like? I just thought it was a really good friendship that was grounded in Christ. But now what I see it was, was that man was discipling me. He knew me. He loved me. He cared for me. He helped me grow. He lived a life I wanted to live that was a little bit closer to Christ than I was. So it gave me a proper handholds on how to get a little bit closer to Christ. I've asked him since, and uh, he said, yeah, I was discipling you. I was like, I knew it! <laughs> now, not then. That's what that intentionality looks like. This investment, it's, it's an investment with our relationship with others. But we can't invest in others if we're not invested in our relationship with God. John 8 says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth. We know the truth is Jesus, and the truth will set you free. Remaining faithful to Jesus' teachings, it requires investment to draw close to God, to walk with God, to read his word, to pray with him, to talk with him. It's a continual, continual path and step. And through that, what comes but obedience? Obedience is living it out. Because as you know, we will be known by our love. And if we are faithful, there will be fruits of the Spirit that are evident in our lives. Jesus said by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When we live out our faith through that great commandment of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, and we get after our mission of loving others to Christ while loving Christ ourselves, that love will be so palpable and evident 
and contagious. But what else do we know? We also know to double down our investment requires sacrifice. Jesus did not shy away from this fact at all. He said to the crowd, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Not our way, God's way. This is the way, a life of sacrifice, obedience, investment, and intentionality in our relationship with God as well as our relationship with others. We all have someone in our lives in whom we can invest. Each and every one of us has someone currently right now in our lives that we can invest in. And when we invest in them, they then in turn will have others they can invest in. Paul put it this way, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will then be able to pass them on to others. That's the life of a disciple. Being a disciple who makes disciples, who then make disciples. 2,000 years later, here we are living in that legacy and continuing that mission for the kingdom. For some of us, our focus right now needs to be on drawing closer to God. That sheep component. Some of us need to draw closer to God and sit with him. We know what we need to do to draw close to God. We simply need to humble ourselves and step forward in faith. Say, here I am, Lord. For others of us, maybe we're doing good at being sheep, but it's time to draw close to invest in others and that call of being a shepherd. To be a disciple, you gotta have both. You can't have one without the other. That is the call that God has placed upon each of our lives is to make disciples by following as well as leading. If you are looking for a tangible way to grow in both of these areas, I want to give you a plug. I have yet in my short 32 years of life found a better way to grow as a disciple and invest in others than through life groups. In my life, I can look back on at least four groups I've been a part of that have been incredibly significant in my faith journey. Because when you are with like-minded people, you can draw together to God. You can realize none of us have it all together, and you can draw close to one another. You see the truth God has given someone in their own path of life will often speak to you. And the path you've had and the pain you've carried and the sorrows you've gone through will communicate the comfort and encouragement someone else needs in their life. We have some life groups and small groups here already, but it is our hope to have significantly more than we currently have. In fact, it's my big, crazy, audacious goal and plan and vision for every single person here to at some point be in a life group. So if you have interest even just a tiny interest, which I hope you do, I would love for you to fill out a Connect card. Just check life groups. 
and we will be in touch because I would love for us to say, we have enough people for four more groups to start. Let's go because it will bless you and you will draw closer to God. You will draw closer to others and learn how to invest in others in a great way. As we go through this series, this whole series of momentum, you will find that each of these areas is intimately connected. A deep prayer life requires a strong practice of love. And to grow as disciples means to love deeply and to pray to God and for others. As we grow in one of these areas, each area we are able to grow in as well, if we are being intentional. If discipleship is indeed the way of life of one who follows Jesus, we know it is a life filled with millions of steps. Faith-filled, bold, courageous steps done daily. That is the walk of a disciple. So my question to you is this. What is your next step? Millions of steps done regularly. What is your very next step? Maybe you see yourself here and you know you want to be way down there. When we look way ahead, we often get paralyzed because it seems too distant. We look one step ahead, that's not so scary. I invite you to allow the Spirit to lead you and lead me as we all seek to love, live, and lead as God has called us to. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful to be your disciples. We are, thank you. we are thankful for Jesus Christ coming and for dying for us, for defeating death so that we may live, but also, Lord, while Jesus was here modeling perfectly how you desire us to live. And when we think, God, about how you desire to continue the mission of Jesus Christ, it was through this to make disciples who make disciples. And Lord, we know we as a church exist simply as a housing point of a group of disciples, Lord. And Father, we know that anything we do, we do for your sake because of your spirit residing within us. So we give you thanks. Lord, we pray that we may love boldly that we may love you boldly as well as our neighbor, that we may, in our own lives, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to guide us on where we need to look more like you in our life, whether it's through our words, how we treat others, how we treat our relationship with you, for when we say things we shouldn't or when we don't say things we should. God, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, even now you will encourage us and show us that very next step for each of us to take. And God, we know there is encouragement and comfort and excitement to not be alone in this journey, Lord. So thank you for this community of believers that you have called together for this time to seek you together, Lord. May you surround us with those voices around us to encourage us where we need it and to press us forward as we need, Lord. 
Reveal in us even now those that you have placed in our lives in which we can invest and give us the courage to do so, Lord. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.